0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague today, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek! Glad to be here this time
1: from Dubai, uh, completely across the world, and that's the geography I'm in today. And uh, finally, missed the merge. Happened at an interesting time uh, for folks in in, in UAE. Uh, It's such a great event, and of course, there was a lot of parties, a lot of you know, not exactly a sports theme, but uh, nonetheless, uh, interesting, uh, interesting times that we've gone through. Uh, So, really glad to be
0: here today, and let's talk about that a little bit. So. You know, I thought we might talk a little bit about tipping points today, and this is certainly one of them, and it happened today. Um, I um, love the fact that forty thousand people watch this happening. Um, Frankly, it's probably as exciting as about watching grass happen. But nonetheless, behind the scenes, of course, who was developing it? Very exciting. So, so what's intriguing is the process of how they stopped mining to occur, and how they set up the proof of stake, and also how of course they're maintaining minimum numbers of stakers for that to occur so maybe we could start with the TTD and exactly what that was and how that started the process
1: yeah no that's great I think if you if you look at the it's TTD stands for total terminal difficulty and it's a mechanism in all mining protocol all the proof of work protocols that balances the demand and supply so if you have less de, you know if you have less demand the difficulty goes down which incentivizes more miners to come in if the if the if the demand goes up it, you know it's vice versa it's essentially in, implies that you know you want to maintain a balance between reducing the hash rate needed to process these blocks and process transactions and one way and this debate actually has been happening is how do we what's the cut over what is the shift between making that you know from proof of work to proof of stake of course there are other technical elements of the fact that now you have beacon chain which was the consensus layer which is which provides the finality to two transactions, you know, to two transactions when you have execution layer. And one way to deal with that was to make the difficulty, which is the incentive mechanism, so expensive that it completely removes the incentive for miners to start mining it. And that number, I think, I believe was five, five, four, followed by like 10 zeros, uh, it's enormously high number, enormously exorbitant sort of energy usage to do that. And that basically was a shift to have a block and the next block went, switched to the proof of stake mechanisms, which again, was locked into these uh, stakers these onto, onto the beacon chain that provided that consensus mechanism. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me and being in technology, Derek, uh, and this is just 41,000 on YouTube. There were many parties happening around the world that I saw on LinkedIn that people were getting excited. And you know what, having been in technology, upgrades are stressful and they are boring. Because it's a lot of work and a lot of coordination, but in this case, it was like a party to me that, that alone was just exciting. Uh, but in this case, you know, and uh, you know that that shift happened, and I think the it took about fifteen minutes long, and and the, the merge was finally announced official uh, after about two forty three a. m. That was kicked off on on you know uh, uh, yesterday, and then eventually, I think around three three thirty, it was, it was declared to be a successful upgrade. So I'll pause here. It does have implications. Of course, now it's to look into incentive economic system that we've been discussing from past three episodes, looking into the behavior of stakers, looking into the, what's also interesting is that within the next 24 hours, we expect the ETH POW, which is to preserve the original um, mining-based Ethereum. Uh, So they're sort of forking it. And there's a whole lot of incentives there where existing ETH holders would get, uh, airdrop of these ETH POW, which is expected to have like $89 value, whatever the case is. Uh, which is why they had stopped withdrawal, because at the time of this merge, if you owned ETH, you would get a fourth sort of airdrop of ETH POW. And, uh, should, you know, and that to me is an interesting point as well, because the mining community, the folks who actually had a vested interest in the existing infrastructure, uh, they chose to maintain that chain only because it fuels the business. Uh, So it'll be really interesting to see if the coexistence and successes and failures of each of these things and where does the DAOs and ecosystem and community go. uh, That's going to be super interesting. So I'll take a pause, Derek, to see if Hmm. if that made
0: sense. Look, like normal, once we've got to a certain milestone, you're going to look at the next one. And it appears to me as though the proof of stake is an enormously important milestone because it reduces the cost of energy and it enables an entire new set of economics that's going to enter this space, which I'd like to talk about in a moment. Uh, but the next milestone coming is going to be, of course, the development of the shards, so the multi-blockchain operations. And so how long away do you think that is? And do you see that as actually an even more important milestone than what we're seeing right now with, um, with, the, with the proof of stake um, occurring?
1: You know, I do. I, I You know, I do. I think uh, the this particular was called Bellatrix Upgrade um, before the merge uh, was activated on Tuesday and, and basically prepares the Ethereum proof of stake beacon chain, also called the consensus layer, as I mentioned. And what's interesting is that I'm more interested in incentive economic systems and behavior. So Nansen, one of the blockchain a- a- analytics firms, talked about this in terms of one of the principal fears that was due to this monumental merge was the stakers could... Have a major sell-off because now this has happened and they could get the yield and returns. Mm. Uh, We did discuss this in terms of what does the fee structure look like post-merge, and that is yet to be determined to see if that really pans out and what the other mechanics around it. But uh, you, you know, the folks who have locked their ETH for staking pools or have staked their ETH, you still cannot withdraw it yet, right? For one reason, because that withdrawal actually should happen towards Shanghai update, which is slated for a few months from now. So, there's a, it's a progressive thing. So, if you remember in our merge, merge, surge, purge conversation that we had, that progression is to me the next three or four, or five year journey, which is what makes this even more interesting. They haven't called it victory yet. There's a continued effort to be able to progress and create these shards, which will then begin to house different DAOs, different ecosystems, different behaviors around this whole thing. And what's also interesting is that um, the protocol itself um, has built-in sort of a withdrawal queue to prevent the mass sell-off, which to me is super interesting because this begin to look like a well-designed economic system where the Ethereum Foundation has proposed a sort of withdrawal queue, which means that if everybody wants to sell off, you cannot. They're only allowing 300 pools at a time to sell off Mm. to ensure that you have enough staking capacity to be able to process transaction because staking essentially is the consensus mechanism that allows for transaction finality. So I think you know, we discussed this again in the level, one of the last ones that you have Coinbase and you have ETH mine, and now you have the LIDO, which is a DAO that you can, you know, stake, uh, decentralized staking that you can send your ETH to that DAO and you will eventually get all that today is collectively the three largest mining pools. It'll be really good to see what are the sort of behaviors in terms of the, uh, the econometrics of these mining systems and econometrics of, uh, because as we know, the ETH, has stabilized. I don't think it has either not, you know, neither lost a lot of value nor gained a lot of value, which is a great thing. It's stable. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the idea was never to make it cheap because the Ethereum merge was more towards the energy consumption and efficiency and and scale, uh, nothing to do with capacity, right? So you layer two protocols are still relevant from that perspective. Uh, And again, I think many layer two protocols or layer three protocols who are running on this would have to make those substantial changes in terms of adopting the BESU and teku clients or respective clients, depending on the, on the technology they're using. So that all that is to me, TBD, I'm closely watching this in terms of, and I'm more curious now, Derek, in who are the failures and why they're failing and what is the economic impact of the failures? Of course, the failures in many cases will be technical initially, mm. uh, but what is the economic impact of those technical failures, if that makes sense?
0: Mm. Well, I mean, we, there was a discussion on the way that uh, this was like the process of changing an engine mid-flight. And, and you know, that that's a, a gorgeous terminology. Uh, but if you're going to change an engine mid-flight, things are going to go wrong, <laughs> frankly. And so it may well be it's wrong with the ancillary control systems um, that, uh, that we're going to see. So in other words, wrong with other uh, tokens that are operating off the platform. Hey, can I use an analogy a little bit here? Um, you probably know that many years before joining this space, um, I was in the world of public company directorships. In fact, you know- You were, a yeah. Public company for some number of years. And I used to regularly say that in the public company world, there are two businesses that a managing director runs. One business is the business of the business. And the other business is the business of the exchange, the stock exchange or the securities exchange. And they're two t- quite different things. However, in a public company, they're interchangeable. You've got to have the exchange and the shareholders interested in what's happening to be able to keep the business going and generating profit and building. This space is not too difficult in some ways, because what you've got in this space is you've got the entire environment of investors and institutions. And then, of course, you've got everybody who's technical and VC orientated getting on with the job of developing the product. And they are happening in parallel to each other. But the fact of the matter is, like it or not, they're symbiotic and they have to work together. And so it brings me to sort of an interesting time. And, 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 and I wanted to, sort of, wanted to sort of look at this as maybe a tipping point because in the last week, some amazing things have happened in that business of run, running the exchange. In other words, in the business of the investment world. You know, I'm, I'm a great reader of Malcolm Gladwell. I, I thoroughly enjoy reading his works. <laughs> Um, you know, the the author of Outliers, David and Goliath, Walking with Strangers, and and importantly, the tipping point. And he defines a tipping point as a moment of critical mass and threshold, um, like a boiling point. Um, And this morning, we were at a uh, blockchain breakfast, which we do every month here in Perth. um, And the 20 people sought to try and define what a tipping point was. And in this space, I thought a tipping point was when major investors and small investors can invest in this space absolutely without friction. Right now, that's not the case. They've got to sign up to wallets. They've got to sign up to exchanges. They've got to do KYC and AML. And then they're terrified and they're going to have to work out what to do with um, their tokens in the form of custody, et cetera, et cetera. However, during the week, um, Schwab, Citadel Securities, Fidelity, um, and a group of other Wall Street um, uh, startups decided to create the E D X market. Now we've heard a lot about markets. You know, there's one market, next market. There's you know Coinbase, Binance, and 100 others. Those are giants. However, and 100 others, OKX um, and and Kraken. Um, these are all digital asset exchanges. But that's not what these guys are developing. These guys are looking to create a very simple exchange where you simply trade on the same screen, you might trade your Bloomberg's or your E-Trade, and you'll be trading major tokens on that screen. There is no custody, there's no sign up to exchanges, there's no wallets. So all of a sudden, they're creating a seamless environment. So they intend to launch this business so that institutional investors um, and people with 401ks, as it says in America, are able to access this space. And we know from earlier studies that some six percent of the U.S. population have said they just want to buy into this space. Well, you know, six percent of the of the U.S. population investing in this space is in fact many, many hundreds of billions of dollars. So to give you an idea of the scale of this, um, you know, Grayscale is operating a, a twelve billion dollar BTC trust alone. The industry itself right now has got about a trillion dollar capitalization to it. This is our whole discussion, Nathan price versus value. Well, currently price is about a trillion dollars. Um, and that's made up, by the way, of um, of 600 million um, of that is combined between uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. So there's really only about 400 billion dollars worth of um, other assets out there. So it's tiny because gold itself is is three, is 11.3 trillion dollars. But what's important here is that is that we look forward to this. I mean, Schwab, Citadel, Fidelity, I mean, you combine their funds and management together and there's $13.5 trillion of funds under management between those three guys. Are you getting how small this space is here? And if you can then start providing this on a standard stock trading platform for, heaven forbid, I'm about to give myself a hard time here, for the baby boomers, to invest on it. I don't consider myself one, but I am. Um, And if you can can provide it in such a way that they can say, well, you know, I'll buy a little bit of Google, a little bit of Facebook and Netflix, but I'm also going to buy some Ethereum, some Bitcoin and some Solana, and consider it in the same platform. I think we're gonna see very large amounts of money coming into this market from wholesale investors, accredited investors, 401k investors and institutions. Maybe, just maybe, this is a tipping point, Nitin, um, in the world of finance, the stock market side of the business. What do you think? Oh, you're on mute, mate. To me
1: derek in in spirit uh, you're a millennial you you you're excited you're you're talking about crypto so you're just you're, def- you're definitely not a babe you know babe boomer uh and second thing is okay. talking about tipping point i think we should probably seek uh a sponsorship from uh malcolm gladwell uh, because we are talking about his book and his, his thesis and everything else but okay. but you're right i think if you two things like what comes to mind is is flash boys which opens up possibility of collocation. I think. In this case, you have the two of the largest retail brokers, uh, you know, brokers, which is Charles Schwab and the Delhi Investments. You have some of the biggest trading firms, which is Citadel and Virtue Financial. You have some of the biggest VC firms that are backing this venture, which is the EDX, EDX project that you that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And maybe the EDX is for Electronic Decentralized Exchange, even though it's far from being decentralized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a few things that comes to mind when I was reading this, right? One is, what are they solving for in terms of technical issues? right? So this is market data, best execution route, custody. They're removing all the complexities to say, you could just go and buy a token like you would buy a security today in open market. Correct. right? Simple, you don't have to deal with the complexity, you open an account, the, the what the industry call is a web to way with user ID and password. And then what second comes to mind is asset classes. And this is gonna be a little bit interesting. And this is where I think tipping point is just the right analogy to use. Is the regulators are in the process of sorting out whether some of these crypto assets are actually securities, thus driving more oversight. And EDX is sort of stipe, sidestepping that battle to say, let's figure things out in terms of Bitcoin. And, Ether. and this is what you've seen again with BlackRock's announcement with Coinbase in terms of providing that access through the Aladdin platform and also mm. providing a spot sort of a trust through their, through their trust offering. And some of these are sidestepping those things to say, hey, no one is questioning Bitcoin yet. No one's questioning Ethereum yet. Let's start with that. And as we get begin to get clarity of these different asset classes, we're going to start onboarding them into these platforms. And what's also interesting about this is why Flash Boys came to my, to my attention. If you remember, Flash Boys was that book from Michael Lewis, which, yes. to, and to me as a technologist, it's interesting because Uh, Oftentimes, the use of fast microwave communication networks, this massive, you know, co-location in the sense you co-locate your sort of trading data close to the exchanges, which allows you to be able to have a subsequent advantage of response times. Uh, And connecting sort of New York to other important co-location offering exchanges anywhere else in the US. There was a lot of, and there have been books, movies made of this in terms of people having dedicated cabling only to give you the subsequent response time. And I think with crypto, uh, that goes in extremely high gear simply because of velocity and veracity of data and trades. And the technology behind EDX would be phenomenal in terms of the investment that we have to make for this to be truly meaningful only because now you're no, you're no longer competing with the privileged access because of either licensing or regulatory modes. You're dealing with public networks that me and you can have access to as well. And what investments are we making? So I think uh, it, it's an exp- and I use the word, I begin to now use Derek the, the word exponential finance that, uh, and not just in some sort of, you know, sense that you suddenly are now, uh, in, you know, me and you are empowered without a licensing uh, regime. Uh, anybody's empowered with the public crypto assets. And more importantly, as the industry is looking to tokenize existing asset classes, and that conversation has been going on in the industry. This is ETFs and commodities and, and synthetic securities. Suddenly you'll find the fund management space interesting because now you have a hodgepodge and mix of crypto and traditional assets. And that comingly, as much as me we would like to love to talk about decoupling on the long run. To me, it's exponential finance. And the exponential finance to me is a phenomenon and tipping point is where we are. I think as you describe it, that the appetite by investors, the appetite of the various players, the ability for them to invest, embrace this technology as well as the asset classes. I think it'll be super interesting in the next two or three to four years as to how this evolves. I'll take a pause here, Derek, to see if I know I've said a lot of things. If if that even uh, you know has the connective tissue between
0: these different conceptual elements. Look, look, it does. And what is interesting is this issue of decoupling, um, and it's very hard to. Uh, really defined decoupling, unless you consider that, you know, Boston Consulting, by example, has has turned around and said that they think by twenty thirty, I mean that's eight years away, uh, that sixteen trillion dollars of um of digital assets and and um, physical assets are going to be tokenized on the exchanges. Sixteen trillion, so that's sixteen times the size of the market right now. But a lot of those could well be, you know, um, obviously there'll be US dollar stable coins, et cetera, and there'll be value in that, but it could well be real estate and it could well be traditional businesses that are wrapped in tokens and placed on, on these exchanges to be able to be sold as either security tokens or non-fungible tokens, depending on the, the asset that we're talking about. And that will blend this world into something that sometimes might you might argue, how do you decouple that then if it's representing a digital asset of a traditional world? Um, But I'd like to talk about, you know, what's the potential of decoupling it earlier? And earlier maybe so you get definition around the fact that this is just not a replication of a digital replication of an existing asset system, but rather this is a totally new world that's getting developed. And, And, you know, you've probably heard my argument about this before. It makes no sense that this space is correlated to NASDAQ. It doesn't make any sense, but it's macroeconomics, and that's where it is. And the reason it doesn't make any sense is because this space is growing at an exponential rate, and it's got a huge amount of money developing it. That's not what we're seeing with NASDAQ product. That's not growing at an exponential rate. But macroeconomics are playing an overbearing role in this. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so to to me, this is uh, actually I'm not overly excited about EDX uh, coming, even though uh, industry news from institutional investors is super exciting because the avenue, there's a path, there's familiarity with the way things have been done today. So let's look at these merge and this, because that's what the context of this, are today's topics are, right? Super exciting. A lot of technical people, a a lot of economic value to be unlocked yet in crypto, right? This is, you know, and again, we haven't even touched upon the macroeconomic elements of in the the universe of crypto economics, the macroeconomic element of NFTs and content creation and data and AI and many of the other elements that are at play here, which actually has a potential for, again, a massive growth in value and unlocking that value. And when I see EDX, which, again, is going down the familiar path, Mm. I'm actually not too excited because we set out 13 years back to change the system. And if the system begins to look and smell and feel like existing system, well then what have we really achieved? Right, and I, and I think that to me, decentralized exchanges and automated market makers and, and maybe this is an institutional angle, which is acceptable because institution needs that level of governance from operational framework and exposure and everything else. But, I, you know, it will be sad if, if many of these institutional platforms begin to dominate uh, what Uniswap and Aave and SushiSwap and and Pancake swaps of, of of these projects have done, uh, or MakerDAO have done in terms of redefining the financial mm. primitives and redefining the markets where uh, no longer you have the risk of you know undercollateralization or risk of margin calls because these protocols are, you know, there's no credit so to speak, right? So mm. there's checks and balances in the economic system they represent. There's no over-borrowing, over-leveraging, over-lending, uh, you know, which has caused uh, many crises in the past. Uh, I, I question that. I, so while this is great from technology perspective, and I think eventually platform like EDX may give many of the folks who who have access to technology, access to know-how, access to the talent in terms of financial sciences, will definitely get an undue advantage. I'm hoping, that we have a competing decentralized platform to give them the run for their money. Uh, That's my hope,
0: if that makes sense. So, um, you know, that's the reason I started this conversation off by saying there's two businesses here. There's the business of running (laughs) the exchange and there's the businesses of running the business itself. Um, So really what they're doing with EDX is what you and I do when we put a piece of smelly octopus on a hook. We don't want to eat it but that's what the fish want. And, and I think with E D X it's the same. You know, this might not be our hope and aspiration for a decentralised exchange or, or a swapping exchange. world. however, this is what can onboard very large amounts of money into this space. Large amounts of money provides liquidity and liquidity provides opportunity for the space to grow and that feeds um, development and it feeds users. So um, for those real uh, disruptive viewers, maybe you might look at it in the form of a necessary evil um, as that's coming along. I think that's a bit harsh, personally. I just think it's another factor in the game of investment in the space, but a very <laughs> big factor because it could see a lot of money onboarded. Now, Nitton, over time, why would it prevail? Because generationally, you're seeing Generation X, Y, and Z coming, coming ahead. They're not interested in using that kind of exchange. They've got wallets set up. Wallets are going to be simpler, exchanges are going to be less centralized, um, and solutions are going to be easier than what EDX is, I believe, planning now um, over the next seven or eight years. So I think um, your fear will drop away when the generations arrive that like this space. But in the meantime, this is that smelly piece of octopus that goes on a hook because it's sort of what the fish want. And so that's what you need to go fishing for, in my view. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great because the analogy now is fixing the fixing the plane while it's flying and a smelly octopus. We need to come <laughs> up with more positive. <laughs> do uh, 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 these uh, things. <laughs> uh, we we have to think a little bit differently about about these things. But uh, but I I I tend to agree, and I think that's what keeps us exciting. I think that uh, uh, you know, I I've seen a lot of amazing talent, both from financial industry as well as technology industry, come together in building DeFi. And more and more I see this, I think I'm, I'm more sort of, you know, I, w- yeah, I would not use the word bullish, but I'm I'm more uh, positive in terms of the outlook of what DeFi are, are able to do in providing egalitarian platforms for the world. Again, we are trying to solve this for the world, not just for the, mm. for a, for a few rich from, from the developed or, you know, emerged economy, so. so to speak, right? I think that's the intention. And if you have not done that, then all this technology and all the investment, and all the, you know, is not good because at the end of the day, whatever we do from technology perspective is meant to improve the lives of the folks who are the fringes and give them an opportunity to participate in this in this platform, in this economy. So yes. that's my outlook and hope. And and uh, let's, you know, let's work towards it, Derek.
0: Yeah. Look, it's not going to be a purist journey though, is it? Um, and you know, we've spent a lot of hours chatting away together, and you know that my view on centralised environments is is not a positive one. Um, but we also know that the likes of Solana, which is hardly a distributed um, ledger uh, in its truest sense, um, is going to form a good part of the entire economy and the entire infrastructure that exists here. There will be centralised solutions and decentralised solutions that no doubt will run in parallel to each other, um, along the way, what will then be the determinant is going to be how efficient and how effective yeah. um, they are. And um, and I'd like to think that um, truly DAOs and and, um, and decentralized exchanges will become so efficient they already are, and so effective that it'll be extremely difficult for anyone to bother trading on an EDX exchange another ten or fifteen years. But in the meantime, I think they're going to play a role. Um, yeah. and, and that role could be very good. So uh, tipping point, Nitin, um, you know, Some tradition, some new, um, both disruptive uh, and, and, and all just in the last week.
1: Yes, and looking forward to next week. So Derek, thanks again. Uh, good chatting with you. I need to head back into my, my event and
0: uh, we'll chat later. Good on you. Bye for now, Nitin. Okay. Look after yourself. Bye. Take care, Derek. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.